Hello and welcome to Super Respectable. My name is Toshio Rahman, reporting only for another month from Istanbul, Turkey. And with me as always is my friend, David Lewis from the Netherlands. Hey Tosh, how's it going? I'm good. Dave, you look like a Canadian lumberjack with that shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, just for the image, um, for the people who are listening on Spotify and other mediums, I'm wearing the uh, typical lumberjack red and black checkered uh, shirt right now. That's true. Very, so, very yeah, I've never chopped any trees. I'm afraid of that type of stuff. I'm not a cottage person, but uh, I, I got the look. Yeah, me too. Do you go do you go cabining or camping? Are you that type of guy or no? Well, I mean, when I was living in Canada, I would get invited every summer to friends places, which was nice. But uh, I have to admit, I, I'm just I'm a city slicker. I, I like cities. I like um, yeah, I, civilization. I, I actually <laughs> did not know this about you. But I'm so happy you said that I do not like I like the outdoors, but I do not like residing in the outdoors. <laughs> uh, in any structure. Uh, I dread tents, uh, cabining, camping. Uh, I'm also a city kid. Uh, if you want to go for a hike or you want to go for a walk or something, I'm totally okay with that. But staying overnight, I've never had a good experience. Yeah, I never really understood it. I'm like, well, we've progressed so far in the human race. Why are you trying to make a show of going back to being able to live in a tent for a week? Um, you know, you don't have to do that to yourself, especially like in parts of Canada where there's, or most of Canada where there's black flies, horse flies, bears. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. I remember, I remember, uh, uh, in school and high school, we had to go camping We had to, like outdoor ed trips. I don't know if you had to do that or not, but, uh, every couple of, every, back I in called school, in sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. I remember like one time we went as a class and then the next day we woke up and like uh, our teachers were like, Oh, there was a bear in our camp area. Cause it was really food. And I was like, what? <laughs> like while <laughs> we were sleeping in tents. So oh like, I always find there's a rock in like an un uncomfortable place and I can't sleep or the, the temperature is weird. If you want to use the washroom, you got to like take a flashlight and walk like 10 minutes to some communal place. Or I really just don't find it enjoyable, but to each their own. There are people who like doing it. I am not one of those people. You find me a Hilton or, a, or an intercontinental. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can camp in the double bed in there. Well, actually, a little side story is that um, I was invited to a friend's cottage here in the Netherlands. And I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting. I thought, okay, yeah. I wonder what, what a Dutch cottage is like. Um, and so we, we went to um, the city Groningen, Groningen yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the north. And then we drove uh, from there to his cottage. And I thought, oh, I was waiting to go far for, like into the countryside. Yeah, but it was basically like a suburb of the city, <laughs> and there's a lake there, and you had to take a boat to go to his cottage. Yeah. But like on the other side of the lake was uh, the grocery store and the oh, really? store, oh. and there is like a parking lot and civilization. So I'm like, this yeah. is dreamland for me. Like you wake up in the morning and you see the nature and the lake, but if you yeah. just look to the right you can go to, go to your shops and escape if you want. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be optimal. If you, if you're within minutes in your situation, it's just prime, but like within a uh, uh, distance of uh, nature and uh, city life, that would be amazing for it. But I do understand there is a piece to the wilderness and there is a, there is a factor in there. I totally get it. So maybe I'll work on it a little bit more, but I don't like going camping. <laughs> I don't, I, I, and, and living in Ottawa and Ontario, people are very, and even in BC, uh, people are very much like into into it. I think we're in the minority here, so uh, 
it's okay. We can, we have our podcast. It's fine. So. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Here we are. Anyways, how's, uh, how's your week been? I mean, uh, uh, we have a new, oh, there's a new president. So that was a big thing that's kind of over now. Well, the current president's <laughs> not, not, not giving in. That's, I started not following it too much. It's not as, because I know on January 20th, there's going to be a transition, but what's happening with yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, it hasn't affected my week uh, at all. I've tried to switch off as much as possible uh, with that uh, U.S. election stuff. Yeah. Although it keeps invading my various uh, social media timelines and things like that. So it's hard to get away from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'll sort itself out pretty quickly. Like you said, uh, the, he has to change uh, power in January. So that's going to happen. Um, yeah. And here... Um, it's kind of weird. The, the, the Christmas lights are coming up. So it's, yeah. it's just crazy to me how uh, the year has at times flown by and at times gone by at a glacial pace. So uh, now it's kind of coming to hitting me hard. And I'm like, wow, what did I do this year? <laughs> <laughs> you and me, bro. I can't even, I don't, I can't even remember before March, you know, I mean, like my memory is so foggy. I sort of remember like uh, Halima and I, we have been like going out. We've been like, I don't think we've been here since February or like, I don't think we've eaten at this restaurant since January. And so like literally where did the last eight, nine months go? And <clears throat> I don't know. And now we're going like, we're going back home to Canada in, in less than four weeks. And I don't know, this whole year has just been, it'll just be one of those foggy, like uh, dementia years, you know what I mean? Like you'll just wake up and just kind of be like, what happened this year? Nobody knows. Yeah. We'll have to read about it in the history books to try and figure out what happened. Cause, yeah. uh, it's all a big blur I, right now. <laughs> totally. I, uh, um, I started watching, so I don't know. Do you watch, uh, uh the crown season four came out? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, into episode six or seven. I can't remember what we, oh, we, we're, we've, we've been binging. We're right. Oh, totally. I, I, it's Tuesday. I, I'll finish it today. I'm on, I just finished nine. So uh, it's really to, good. It's uh, first of all, like production value on this thing is like amazing, like cinematography, quality, like dialogue acting, but even from a story point of view, it's just like, it's amazing. Like it's really good, but I, I, I really despise uh, the Royal family in this season. <laughs> like I really feel <laughs> like they're ganging up on, 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 on Diana, Princess Diana, and I really think Charles comes off as an asshole, <laughs> in the, which he was, I think. But, but yeah, well, it kind of highlights how dysfunctional um, a lot of families are, especially the rich and famous. Uh, they, they're quite dysfunctional, and in some ways, I pitied them because these people are trapped in this gilded, uh, golden yeah. cage. Um, so, no, I think it's very well done. Um, I just hope it's historically accurate because this is totally. going to be like the history of the royal family. Everyone's watching it and thinks this is the truth. So, uh, I mean, but does, is there a responsibility to be historically accurate or is it just uh, at the end of the day, is it just entertainment? Like, can you, you know, some of that conversation? I think they're, I think they're pretty faithful to um, the history. And of course, like the conversations behind closed doors, they had to take some artistic liberties with it because they yeah. don't have uh, transcripts, but yeah. it seems to be more or less in line with what we know. Yeah, it's, I totally agree with you. I think it's a horrible, despotic, uh, just disastrous lifestyle. Like, like uh, you can tell like the queen really has no like emotion in the show. I don't know in real life or not, but she really doesn't know. She, the only she knows is like crown and duty. She's even like not the greatest of mothers, very uncompassionate, like very just robotic. And like, just uh, at points, I'm like, this is just horrible. <laughs> like, why would you want to live <laughs> like this? You know? oh, well, I have, I have, I have uh, two points, uh, three points I wanted to raise and I want to get your opinion. Number one, 
what exactly is it that Prince Philip does? Like, I don't really understand what his official role in life is, other than just being married to the queen. He just that is his role. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And as attending uh, various um, ethnicities, subjects. And, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And number two, isn't it weird? I find like I always watch them. They're always dressed like in like suits and ties. And I'm like, I was telling Halima, I'm like, do they ever just wear t-shirts and like shorts and sweats and walk around? Or he's always dressed in a suit. <laughs> well, I was imagining. I mean, this has come out during uh, pandemic time. I'm thinking the whole royal family. They're not doing their duties right now. They're probably sitting at home finally in pajamas and jogging pants watching the crown and yeah. just take like texting each other on whatsapp to say yeah. hey check get a load of your portrayal ha <laughs> yeah. like cheeto stains on their shirts <laughs> there ketchup over there. <laughs> yeah i think i thought it was just like so they were so formal i kind of felt like the queen especially had been raised like this was the only way she knew like even if you watch the scenes where she's by herself she's very very proper even when no one's watching i think it's been like ingrained into her perhaps i i don't really know if she binges like Netflix and like eats like Sour Patch Kids and stuff like that after but but it's and then the third weirdest thing I found and I, I found this a couple of seasons back is that the queen and the prince they don't sleep in the same bed they have like different quarters that was strange yeah because there's that episode uh, spoiler alert uh, where the man comes into the uh, Buckingham Palace he breaks in twice uh, and right yeah, half the time I'm wondering where's the king? How come yeah. uh, Prince Philip he doesn't come involved get involved? Yeah, uh, but like you said, he's sleeping in another uh, part of the palace, which you never know. Maybe it's a secret to a long and a happy marriage. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I remember uh, growing up and Diana dying. I was twelve. We were twelve. I think twelve, thirteen, and that was a big deal. My mom was a huge Diana fan. Like she had magazines and then video and like memorabilia so she really liked Diana and then she died and I remember it was like on the news for like weeks and it was sad and like you know this and that and so watching this because I know how it's gonna end right and so like it's kind of sad and then how it goes and then I was thinking it must be weird for like the royals now especially William and well not Harry anymore but like to watch their parents story unfold and even to watch themselves on tv you know what I mean they have actors playing them and it's it's weird. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's become weird. very close to a reality sh- series. Yeah, I want, I, and I totally understand why. Like Harry and his uh, wife and their kid are sort of like, we're out. <laughs> we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> like, we're living in. Uh, we've moved to Los Angeles or wherever, Santa Barbara. You know, so. But even still, it's hard for them to have a normal life because never, yeah, they're always going to be in the spotlight. They can't check out. So. The British press is pretty um, relentless in keeping tabs on what the royals are up to. So, yeah. are they technically royals anymore? For oh, officially? I'm not sure. I think um, I think uh, Harry still is, uh, but Prince Andrew, the one who had some, is having some problems with that Epstein sex scandal. I think he's been um, kicked to the curb, uh, maybe not re- having to relinquish his titles, but having to give up his royal duties. Yeah. So, yeah. Strange, strange crew of people. Yeah. But very much uh, related in two ways I'll get to on today's topic. Okay. Transgression. So I, uh, uh, I love reading about how rich people spend their money because I think it is so fascinating <laughs> because... I don't know you like uh, about you, but like I'm not rich, so 
I, so I don't have working on it. We're working on it. But uh, some people, because I find like there comes a point where every basic need has been uh, has been fulfilled and every luxury has been fulfilled. And at that point, you just start wasting it like there's no tomorrow. So <laughs> like uh, um, I'm going to talk about uh, the world's most valuable private residence. Uh, do you know? Do you know it? I, I think I do. Uh, can I guess the city? Yeah, sure. Where, uh, is it Mumbai? Yes. It's Ooh. Mumbai, India, and it's called Antilia. Uh, it's owned by billionaire, uh, um, a billionaire uh, business mogul, Mukesh Ambani. He is the richest person in India. So he owns what is the world's most valuable private residence, estimated at $2.2 billion. <laughs> Billion. Billion. So as I speak, you can take a look. I don't know if you've seen photos or not, but if you type in. Uh, yeah, Antalya, I know what you're talking about. Antalya. So uh, uh, um, Mukesh Ambani, he, uh, he's not only India's richest person, but he's the richest person in Asia. Uh, he has an estimated net worth of $81.1 billion. Crazy. Uh, he's the sixth richest person in the world. Uh, on a side note, did you, have you noticed that this year during the pandemic, uh, a lot of rich people have become increasingly richer uh, Bezos uh, added $70 billion to his net worth. I just uh, saw an article where Elon yeah. Musk added some money to his net worth as yeah. well. Zuckerberg, all the big tech uh, people have Crazy. moved up the rankings. Crazy. I, 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 I was telling uh, Halima and I went uh, for a walk and I told us this a few months ago. Uh, so last year when Bezos got divorced with his wife, she became the richest woman in the world because she took she got half of his earnings at the time, which was around $62 billion. And uh, Bezos made that up in a year, <laughs> like, you know, plus, plus 10, yeah. that's unbelievable. No unbelievable. Like, uh, just to think like, you know how much money that is? That's insane. Like most people won't make it to a million, right. To make it to a point where it's like a billion and then a hundred times over. It's yeah. crazy. What I can't really figure out with that is how do you do banking? If you're yeah. this guy, so which bank account do you put it in? Because that would be so disturbing to any, uh, banks uh, business yeah. in, in a good way for them, yeah. but he, he would have to spread it out over uh, so many different banks and have so many people monitoring his money. Yeah. I don't know how he invests it or keeps it safe. Trust, trustful people as well. Not people who will like scam them and then and, and take a percentage of it. I think most of it's probably <clears throat> not physical money. It's probably in stocks and real estate and ownership. That's true. Money. That's true. You're, you're right. But, I, I'm sure most of it is in Amazon stock and it's just going up and down based but, on but, that. But, but like, yeah, of course, to your point, say that even, uh, say that even, uh, uh, um, like a 99% of it is in stocks, even a 1%, which is more than a billion dollars is in cash. Like where would you keep all that cash? <laughs> and what if one day he decides, I would like to see that cash and just look at it. Uh, yeah. And do you go to get a withdrawal and wait uh, two months before they can take it out? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, it could be like Scrooge McDuck and have a big, like uh, a big pool, big pool of it. I heard, I heard a few years back, uh, when Apple, uh, I think Apple and uh, Samsung, or I forgot uh, who they were, uh, they had sued one another for something, and one company lost, one company won, so they had to pay a fee. I think Apple was the one who had to pay the other company, and so it was like I forget the amount, but let's say it was a million dollars. They sent a million dollars in pennies to them in spite. Of no them. way. <laughs> yeah. So like they're like trucks driving to Samsung offices with pennies and stuff like that. This is rich people stuff, man. It's crazy, you know. But uh, so, but anyway. what are the features of this house? Like, what's the Okay, so inter some interesting stuff. So um, apparently um, um, the building is 173 meters tall 
And most buildings that are this tall have around 60 floors in them, 60 stories. But in this building, they've decided uh, to have lesser floors. So there's 27 stories, which makes each floor a much bigger. Uh, so the, the floor to ceiling ratio is higher. So um, it actually looks kind of weird when you look at it, it should, be it should have more area, but because they went for space, uh, it's 27 stories, uh, over 400,000 square feet of space. Uh, and uh, you're asking me, Tosh, what are you gonna do with 400,000 square feet of space? Well, I'll tell yeah, you, Tosh. <laughs> three helipads, uh, um, uh, functionality and, and uh, room for air traffic control, I guess, for the three helipads. Uh, a garage that has 168 car spots, uh, a ballroom, because of course, every house needs a ballroom. Yeah, uh, nine high-speed elevators from the lobby that'll take you uh, up and down. Uh, a 50-seat theater, uh, a terrace garden, uh, a pool, of course, a spa, a health center, uh, a temple. And my favorite, uh, because Mumbai is uh, a hot place where, uh, where the weather is pretty humid, a snow room that spits out snowflakes from the wall. No way. <laughs> uh, um, so the top six floors of the building have been set aside for private full floor residential areas. It's for the family. Uh, interesting fact, uh, um, there are not multiple families in this. It is built for one family. I think uh, six people are in this family, husband, wife, and four kids or three kids. But uh, it has the capability of uh, um, staff accommodations for over 600. That's crazy. 600? But uh, it has the accommodations. But from what I read, uh, 600 people, uh, they don't have 600 staff. I think they have 100 and something. But they have the ability to, 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 uh, to, reside, to uh, um, keep 600 people. Uh, so like I said, the house has 27 floors with extra high ceilings. And uh, um, usually most buildings of the, high, of the same height would have 60. It's designed to withstand an earthquake of, uh, uh, of uh, eight uh, on the Richter scale. Uh, um, the architectural design of Antilia, which I'll mention why they chose that name, has been fashioned along the lines of uh, the lotus and the sun. There's some kind of spirituality element to architectural of this house. Uh, and the house has been divided unofficially into six sections. So it's, um, it represents kind of uh, the different parts of spirituality. It's been earth, water, fire, air, sound, and light. So as you go, it's actually in that order. The bottom is earth, then it's water, then it's fire, then it's air, then it's sound, it's light. Uh, it started construction in 2006 uh, with a U.S. architectural firm, and then an Australian firm actually was a construction company, but they swapped them out for another another firm near the end. Do you know, uh, by the way, uh, do you know anything about architectural and construction firms? I don't really know anything a lot about them. I mean, other than just well, what's there, but I'm assuming the architectural firm probably put up the blueprints and the construction firm just built it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I assume happens. Um... And the construction firm just says, stop that. You got to modify this because there's no way we can engineer a building that uh, looks like this. Yeah. Um, but I mean, looking at it, I can imagine they had to probably shop around a few construction firms because yeah. it looks like something that, that uh, you know, a Jenga building combined with Lego. And it looks like a really crazy, um, do, you, do you like the look of it? Just honestly? <clears throat> I mean, honestly, I, um, I wouldn't choose to spend my two billion on uh, on the on this. Um, it's very cool. It's very unique and interesting, but it's just so in your face. It like totally. it stands out like a bit of an eyesore to me. Totally, and and it's very uh, uh, it's very interesting you said that because uh, um, this is where some of the criticisms comes in. I'll, I'll just mention it. 
But there is a little bit of controversy around this, uh, around this building, not because of how ugly it is, because of the origin of the land. So officially, there was actually an orphanage on this land, uh, and it was given uh, by a really rich ship owner to the local waqf board. Uh, for those mm -hmm. people listening, waqf is an Islamic term in the Islamic religion, where someone uh, donates or gives something for use that can never be sold or transferred to another owner. It's intended for its initial uh, usage. So this land was given uh, as a waqf by an individual uh, for an orphanage. So um, in 2005, before uh, 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 the owner decided to build, he actually used a, a dummy corporation. <laughs> so rich people did. Really? A, a dummy or a commercial, like a, 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 he didn't name it. It wasn't clearly his, but it was his, you know what I'm talking about? He used a commercial entity, a dummy com uh, corporation, which was controlled by him. Uh, uh, to buy the, tr the land and the trust. But this actually goes against uh, Article 51 of the Waqf Act of India. So um, um, in these situations, uh, you're actually not allowed buying the land unless you get permission. So, uh, so you're supposed to get permission from the charity commissioner in the area, as well as the, the district. It's called the Maharashtra district, state, sorry, uh, uh, board of Waqfs, Waqfs, Waqfs. Uh, so Maha, uh, the Maharashtra state board of Waqfs. So they got it from the commissioner, but they didn't get from the board of WACF. So, uh, uh, however, an agreement was made eventually between the two, so it proceeded. But interestingly enough, about a decade later, uh, um, uh, a gentleman brought another case uh, representing uh, uh, himself and his entity against the orphanage and the charity commissioner saying that you guys never went through the full process. Um, so that case from the last time I heard is still being heard in a special bench of the court. Um, and on another issue, uh, they had issues as well with uh, uh, with another uh, department, but in the end, Mr. Ambani, uh, being the businessman he is, he ended up just paying about one point six million dollars uh, to get it kind of hidden away, just you know? to just settle it all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here's an interesting fact as well, and this kind of is a good transition to my next point. The land he bought was estimated to be uh, about twenty one million dollars uh, back in the day, but he only paid three million dollars for it. Okay. So, so uh, I guess, you know, he knew the right people or he was able to kind of undercut the price. Maybe the charity needed the cash. So he was able to negotiate, but it's very, very common. I think in that part of the world to really pay undervalued property. I don't think if you're especially one of a man of wealth and, and prestige. So uh, um, money kind of buys what you need in that, in that part. But, uh, but some of the problems with it are that it, there is a lot of, of, of uh, opposition to it. The, the most being that, you have the world's most expensive residence right next to the world's biggest slum, right? There's a huge contrast between the two. Um, there's a huge gap between rich and poor in India, as we know. And this is just, like you said, an eyesore, I guess, and especially like a rub in the face to people walking, living around who can barely afford day-to-day -day living. And here's a man who needs a 168-car garage, yeah? So, he would argue it's aspirational for the poor people in the slum below. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, apparently there's a lot of criticism and they make fun of it in the media a lot uh, that they're like, like, you know, look how ugly this thing is. Look how expensive it is. It's only for a family. There's a lot of mockery happening, happening as well. Um, even, uh, even, uh, uh, do you know who the Tata, the Tata group? They're, yeah. Uh, yeah. So even the former chairman of the Tata group, Ratan Tata, who was actually a very rich man, but lived very, very simply. He was known for his, uh, his, not his uh, being cheap in any way, but his very, uh, his normal lifestyle in comparison to the amount of money he had. He even said that Antilia is an example of rich Indians' lack of empathy for the poor, you know? 
So uh, uh, it's interesting when one of your own kind of comes against you. <laughs> I love when that happens, though. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, um, uh, the the Ambashi uh, uh, family has tried to kind of like uh, do their charity as well. They have hospitals and, you know, they try to kind of like offset it. But I think people are still kind of like, look at this thing, like, you know. <laughs> and so uh, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. Uh, at the same time, I think it's probably one of the worst places you could have built it in. Like, you know what I mean? If it was out in the country or somewhere where there's nobody around, it might've been a little bit more appropriate, but it's sort of an insult and kick to the people, no? Like in India. Yeah, I, it's a hard one. I mean, I've only been to Mumbai uh, briefly and I spent uh, most of my time in Goa when I visited India, which is yeah. apparently one of the least populated states. So, you know, there's people everywhere for yeah. the most part in India. Yeah. So if you're a wealthy Indian and you have that much money, I, I don't know how it works. Like there can't be that much space in the city of Mumbai to build a big mansion. Yeah. Um, so I guess he figured, well, my only option is to build up and in a, in a big grand way. I can't yeah. sprawl out like a typical, you know, North American or British um, mansion. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's probably his perspective, but it, you know, the, the result is that everyone, it's in your face. Everyone looks, you can see it, um, especially in the slum and it's, you know, really glaring. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is in a way it's transparent because the wealth is there and he's oh. making it very clear that he's rich. Yeah. Uh, whereas there's some people who are rich and, you know, they don't want to be known. They want to hide in the background. Yeah. But they're, but they're kind of shady too. Like the Tata guy, you said he's a good guy and he's, you know, was very yeah. cautious with his money. But there's also, you know, rich people who, um, you know, they don't make themselves known for, for various reasons. It's not for the best of intentions. It's for yeah. very selfish reasons. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it sounds a bit uh, fishy with the, the land deal, that sort of thing. Totally. Um, and it feels also a bit like the Buckingham Palace uh, story that we talked about a bit where like he's living in a golden cage where yeah. he's created a whole world for himself inside this building where essentially he doesn't have to leave and interact with um, the people on the, the street below. Yeah. So he spends his whole, you could spend his whole life in there and then fly out, not have to deal with traffic, yeah. go straight to the airport and then like operate in a complete uh, bubble. Yeah. So it must be a strange way to live, even though you, you're the, living in the most expensive property ever built. I, uh, um, so um, um, uh, let me, uh, the good segue is uh, it's, um, it's the world's most valuable private residence, but the world's second most valuable residential property after Buckingham oh. Palace, uh, which is estimated at $5 billion. But Buckingham Palace- Five billion. Uh, yeah, but Buckingham Pla Palace is not a private residence. It's a crown residence. It's owned by the state. So that's the difference between the two. But- uh. That's what Five. they mentioned on the crown. The, the guy who broke in said, well, I can go, come here. It's owned by the, the government. Yeah, there you go. So uh, um, it's strange. Oh, my last point was Antilia. The reason they named it Antilia is in, uh, in uh, 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 traditional folklore, Antilia is a mystic island that was uh, supposed to be uh, um, in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of uh, Portugal and Spain. It's, uh, um, uh, it, was, it doesn't exist in real life. It's been uh, referenced throughout different literatures and different uh, uh, folklore, but uh, there's no real reason. I don't know the public we know why they named it, but uh, it's supposed to represent a phantom island off, off, off the top. Hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I've, I've come across the island before. Uh, not the island, I'm sorry, the building like before and, and I've always thought it's interesting. I don't know. Have you, have you seen it? I've never. Person? Have you? No. Um, yeah, when I arrived in Mumbai, it was at night and we stayed at a kind of funky hotel near the airport and yeah. then left pretty shortly afterwards. So didn't get a good, um, good view of Mumbai. The only thing I saw in Mumbai was that there's people everywhere and yeah. it was quite, there's poverty that was quite like in your face. Well, so. like, here's the thing about rich people is that like, uh, I'm not anti-rich people. I mean, it, it, I, I find it very commendable if someone can make uh, an earning very honestly and they can succeed in it. Like it's good, good for you. Like uh, if you figure out the system, I, I, the, the thing I don't like is when people flaunt their wealth, you know, and when, especially in a place where you could use it for such good. And, you know, like we said, $81 billion is a lot of money, you know, like uh, even if you kept a billion dollars, it's still <laughs> a lot of money. So like, I don't know, you know, I find it interesting. Like you said, there are some rich people who are very low key for bad reasons. And there are very other rich people who are very low key because they're just not that person. Um, I'm thinking of uh, um, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Warren Buffett uh, from Berkshire Hathaway. He's what the second or third richest man in the world or something. He just lives in some like uh, he lives in the same house he he bought in the fifties uh, in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. He eats McDonald's every morning and he kind of drives his his Toyota Camry. Yeah, and I wouldn't his emulate his diet. That's for sure. <laughs> but you know, for him, he figured it out because he had a love of reading and he understood numbers and the math and the business. And he just sat in his chair and he kind of did it. And, and he just didn't, I don't think he really cares about the money at all, the way he's living his life. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's very fascinating. I, I've heard that in Sweden, by the way, people who are wealthy, are, um, it's actually against their culture to flaunt it. So um, the owner of Ikea or the founder of Ikea, who's very famous for being very, very fr um, frugal with his money, uh, he used to fly economy. Uh, he drove like a Volkswagen uh, uh, car himself. He he was very like easy. I wouldn't going. go that far if I, if I made it that rich. That's a bit too extreme. Okay, here's here's <laughs> here's a question for Dave for, for you, Dave. And like we'd ask if we were kids. So say you inherited, uh, say you inherited a billion dollars. Say a, a Ambash, Mr. Ambash was your great uncle on your Indian side, and et cetera, et cetera. He passes on and he donates a billion dollars to you, or he gives you a billion. What are you gonna do with it? A billion. Well, I've well, never well, been asked. Well. I've never been asked a billion. I've been asked a million. A billion is a. It's a challenge to spend that kind of money. So okay, uh, you can you can I would, re reassess the amount to any amount you want. It doesn't matter. No, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a billion. I'm not, I, I'll, okay. I'll take the money. Take Thank you very much, uh, Mister Ambani. Uh, so I would probably see if I could buy a stake in the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the hockey team, my favorite team. Yeah. Uh, and then have some sort of say in what's going on. Yeah. Um. I would. Um, I'm going to settle... question all yeah. your decisions. So be ready. Please for do. Some... Okay, Please okay. do. I would um, settle any um, <clears throat> outstanding debts that anybody in my family has. So my entire family is debt free. Yeah. And your like, friends. Everyone's right? living. And some friends. But then I have to like create a, a hard a like. Yeah. A list because then you start getting these, you know, people on the periphery come crawling back totally. and saying, well, you know, it'd be really nice if you, you know, did this for me, but then by the end of it, you'd have nothing. So you have to be pretty, um, yeah. pretty rigorous about who you dole out your cash to. But of I course, think, I'll give you, I'll give you a little something. Um, you know. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people who come into wealth very quickly always mention that like people come out of the woodworks and they'll be like, oh, you remember me? Or, you know, this and that. And then they're always like, 
what? <laughs> and then suddenly you got to change your number, Dave. You got you to gotta change your email and number and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff or else people yeah. start contacting you. Well, that's the thing is I would, I, I would like to try and preserve the privacy. So maybe buying the Montreal Canadiens wouldn't be the best move. You, but, could, uh, you could take a chapter out of Mr. Ambashi's uh, playbook and buy it through a shell corporation, a hidden uh, Oh, I have lots of skills in that area. So I would make <laughs> sure to um, have it in an unnamed uh, offshore okay. company. Yeah. So at this point, in this order, you have buy your favorite hockey team or a portion of it and then pay off debts of family and friends. What's next? Yeah, I don't know. I'm running out of ideas. It's hard. <laughs> um, there's <laughs> only two things <laughs> uh buy, buy a nice place for myself uh for like this place is okay but it's not worthy of uh, a billionaire in in in, uh, in the netherlands or or abroad no it would maybe buy a place here buy a place in the uk where i have most of my family buy a place in canada where i have obviously my very close family yeah. and friends um and then uh one or two holiday homes oh so you're so really going, you're, you're going heavy on the real estate. Yeah. Okay. It'd be a real estate portfolio. So somewhere in Italy, somewhere else in Italy. <laughs> okay. Spain. Oh, so wow. I stick to Europe. Um, yeah, that's good. And geez, there's so much more money to spend. It's, just, it's That's the thing. It's so hard to figure out what to do with it. Uh, let me ask you a question. Would you, uh, would you work or would you uh, like, uh, or would you retire early or something in between? I would become a well-regarded and well-known philanthropist. You know, mm-hmm. I would make sure my name is on every building at Carleton University. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, Side note to our listeners: uh, that was our that's our alma mater. <laughs> alma mater, yeah. Um, I don't know if I I would give some money to Carleton University. Yeah. Um, I would just make sure my name is somewhere. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure where I would put it. Maybe the parking lot. Yeah. Well, here's uh, <laughs> the closest one to our political science building, uh, the yeah. David Lewis part. Well, here's one thing I learned really interesting a few months back. I was watching a documentary. Rich people can make money much more quicker than someone starting from scratch, right? So if you have a billion, you could put it into different portfolios or investments or whatnot. So you could at least get a return on it, right? You'd never go below, uh, other than your massive expensive, which would, which would be assets from what you've said. You'd never actually go below a billion. So you could easily make at least 50 million or hundred million or, or maybe that's a lot, but 10%, but at least you could make uh, at least five, five to 7% a year. Yeah. I mean, that was another option I was going to say, but I thought it'd be a bit too bland, but um, I would assure my wealth uh, by putting in a chunk in some sort of stock um, index thing. So there's always something going on there. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, I got to say, it's really hard to think of other things. Um, I I guess I would do work in the sense that I would try and be like a dragon's den type. Maybe I would become like a a venture capital guy where I could just be like, Hey, people come to me. And if I like your idea, I'll give you some money. And then people would be stampeding and kicking down my door. So I think that'd be a fun thing to do for work for a bit. Um, And then that way I would learn about different, different businesses. They would educate me and teach me. And then in so doing, I would give them a bit of cash. Um, So maybe for work, I would do that. And then some, um, charitable uh, foundation stuff for the David Lewis foundation for um, whatever cause I should care about. That's very cool. And how about you? A billion. Okay. So uh, (laughs) a billion's a lot. I don't even, (laughs) Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easygoing in it. And so like, 
I would keep working, but more because I'm one of those people that needs to stay active. So I think even after a billion, after a week or even two weeks, I'd be like, my mind would be <laughs> going crazy. So I would work what I would do. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not into like sports in the same way. I wouldn't invest in sports teams because I'm not that invested in it. And I hate my local hockey team because they've lost <laughs> so many <laughs> times in the finals. So I'm not supporting them, but I would probably put, uh, about 900 million into investments or the bank, probably, let's say a billion. And with my 100 billion, 100 million left, I would uh, pay off all loans and debts of family and friends uh, within reason. Okay. Like well, you would put 900 million into the stock market, into investments. Well, I'm, I'm probably uh, into uh, a combination of assets, stocks, shares. Uh, uh, um, wow. Uh, uh, probably into it. I, I, I need to, I'm a little, uh, a, uh, little OCD with that. Like I'd want that as a as making money like on the principle, you know what I mean? Uh, into it. I, I wouldn't do any VC related stuff at the moment. I probably take a year or two years off before I went back into it. Cause I'm just, I do business anyways, outside of the podcast. And so I'm just fatigued. <laughs> it's a really stressful life. <laughs> okay. So, but I would do the same thing with you. I would buy some real estate. So for us, I would, uh, I'd buy a place in, uh, in, in Canada, um, um, uh, where my home is, as, as, as you, I would, uh, so here's a cool thing. I would buy a place in Morocco, which is where my wife is from. And I love, <clears throat> I've always wanted to buy a, like a nice piece of farm by the ocean. So with, a, with, a, with that, I'd buy some land there. I'd also like to buy, buy some land in Scotland in like the Highlands and something like that. I think it would be really, really like quiet, <laughs> which is all I want. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, some land, uh, uh, maybe uh, travel business class, you know, I don't need my own plane or anything. Uh, buy the, a motorcycle for myself. I like motorcycles and uh, maybe a nice car for, for myself and my wife has a dream Would car. you get a chauffeur? No, I like driving myself. What, what about, here's another one. Would yeah. you get someone to cook your food? Yeah, I would. Uh, so I, I'll be, uh, I'll, so my wife loves cooking. I go through phases of liking cooking and not, and right now I'm in a lull where I don't like it. Uh, I even, I also like to like cleaning the house and making sure that things are like uh, good, but right now I don't like it. So it could be COVID, you know, cause I've been doing it for sure, <laughs> but I would definitely do things that would make our life easier, you know? So um, um, if, if someone could help out with cooking and cleaning, I don't mind doing some of it, but I don't want to take responsibility for it. But uh, uh, um but yeah, like that's pretty much what I do. I buy some properties, I pay off some debts, I travel a little bit and uh, I'd buy a couple. Like, I don't think, I think you and I are the same and that we wouldn't buy a lot of material crap, right? Like, I don't think there's anything that would make me super happy like that I've always wanted on my list, you know? So no, like, I'd be about, you know, a few properties and then experiences, just uh, enjoy life. Yeah, you know, well, uh, properties are great because uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an asset and it's making income, right? And then- uh, theoretically in all places property values go up so whether you buy them or you rent them or you sell them you should be able to make a property um, seafront properties is, is very good as i know <laughs> so uh i would build uh i would build my portfolio of properties i would travel i would rest and you know what it is about I, halima and i have had this discussion on when i was younger i used to be like i want money i want to be the richest person in the world boom 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 and now it's not so much that i want to be the richest person in the world i just want to be comfortable and not worry about uh, the, I don't want to be part of the rat race and just always worry about where the next paycheck comes from. So even, uh, and I just want a quiet, simple, but uh, comfortable life, you know, and not excessive, but comfortable, you know? I think they've said, um, there's studies that say like the optimal income for happiness yes. is like okay. 70,000 US dollars. 
Um, and I'm sure there's some caveats to that, but and it changes with inflation, whatever. But they say like, once you're at that and a little bit above, you know, anything, anything above that is, you know, you're, you're winning, uh, but yeah. you, you should be happy with, with that kind of salary. I don't know. I think I'd want a bit more than that. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> I mean, do you remember the time when you were a bachelor and you had a good, like a good income and then like, what would you spend your money on? And like, you know, like I was thinking back to the time when I was a bachelor in my twenties and I had a good income, like I couldn't spend it on things like as fast as I made it. Like, like there was nothing I, like after my requirements were fulfilled, like an apartment, I bought a big TV, which I really enjoyed, you know? I went out to eat and this and that, but like, I totally understand. At some point you're just like, what else am I spending my money on before it becomes like a wastage, right? So Yeah, I don't know. I would struggle. I, I really am not a big spender, as you know. I, no, wear, my I wear my clothes until uh, someone tells me that I should probably change them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I buy lots of books. That's my main expense. And uh, when I'm not traveling. Yeah. Um, but I get like, when I was living in Budapest, I guess that's my one experience of I wasn't like earning a huge amount of money but it was I guess quite a, a good salary for for Budapest yeah. and um so essentially I could afford to go out for for meals every every single one of my meals if I wanted to because it, it was very cheap to eat and um I was a bachelor there like there was just me and cooking got a bit tedious when it's just for one so I was like, well, I can just go spend the money and go out. And, um, but after mm -hmm. a while, like, even if you're, um, so, uh, well off that you can do that, yeah. it, it gets a bit, um, it can be unhealthy to, yeah. first of all, to go, go for restaurants because they put so much more like butter, salt, uh, yeah. fat, whatever in the, in the meal. Yeah. It's delicious, but like, uh, the portion sizes are a bit bigger. So you're uh, like, oh, I just want to make something at home. Totally. Uh, so totally. Like, I guess if you're a rich person and you're Ambani in, in the house, yeah. he's for sure got a team of, of chefs uh, sure. making his food. And he doesn't necessarily look like the healthiest guy. <laughs> he, he looks like he has a lot of food made for him. Yeah. Um, but it, like in theory, if, like say you're an athlete for the NBA or NFL or oh, totally. you know, the pre Premier League, they, they pretty much all have chefs as far as I'm aware. And they have, yeah. they're on like really tight uh, diets. Yeah. I, I think that'd be cool. I would, I would have, I'd be somewhere in between. I'd yeah. be like, okay, I want to eat healthy, but some nice food. So put me in between like what you make for your athletes and this, and that'd be a cool thing to do for a bit. I totally, uh, you, you and I, we were on the same, uh, same page. I, uh, so what I, uh, when we go out, I never mind, uh, like I never complain about any restaurant we go to or buying groceries or anything. Cause I think food is one of those things that like, just enjoy it, you know, like, uh, it's, it's not an extravagance and it's in moderation and like, you know, and so experiences, which I put food under, uh, experiences other than material things, I totally think, uh, would be great. Uh, anyone to help out. Uh, here's a question for you. I, I know you don't have kids. Uh, would you leave any of that $1 billion to your kids or would you be like, no, you do it yourself and then you just donate it or give it away? That's a hard one because uh, if you've ever seen the TV series uh, Succession, have you seen yeah. that one? Wow, it's really, brilliant. it's a great show. Yeah. Uh, it kind of shows the pitfalls of uh, being the wealthy uh, patriarch yeah. type and the kids get a bit messed up. So I guess what you try and do is, I don't know, have a trust or something and, and then try and tell your kids you're not getting anything it's all yeah. going to charity yeah. and then when they're like 
40 or you can see they haven't screwed up their life so far. Um, you can let them you know, like sort of drip feed them some money yeah, and then, and then maybe they'll get it. But like, you wouldn't want to make it so clear that their whole life is going to be, um, you know, all taken care of for them because that's not good for anybody. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, how many, I went to private school and then like I was around kids who just uh, came from a ton of wealth, you know, uh, we had a parking lot on the top for all our grads, like the, in a grade 12. And it was like Mercedes, one Porsche, really? Beamer, Beamer, and my uh, Chrysler van on the, on the corner. That I, <laughs> I could take seven of my friends home, you know. So uh, uh, one thing I would do is that I would really work hard with that billion dollars to be very, very private, to make sure that people didn't know. If it, if it required some money to be really on the down low. Uh, you know, specific banks to go to, to keep it secret or to keep my names out of this and that I would do that. Cause I wouldn't want people to know I had money, you know, uh, that'd just be between me and uh, my close circle. And uh, even then that circle would be very, very limited. And I'd, my kids would not be in that circle. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to know that we grew up with this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a tough one to, to find the right balance because like at a certain point you want to spend on some things, but then you don't want to splash out too much because, or like, post about it on Instagram or something yeah. because then you start attracting um, interesting characters towards you. And uh, totally. I've seen a lot of stories where I don't know what it is. It seems like it's mostly in the UK where um, the rich and famous, they get broken into because a lot of them, they're like soccer players, football players. Yeah. And they're um, a lot of them are, they're young, right? They're like twenties, early thirties and they got yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. And so they're with their friends who all have a lot of money and they're just posting all the time on like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. And that's like a gold mine for a criminal group because they can just track like what they have, where they are, what, they're inviting to, it. what their schedule yeah. is. And for sure there's like all these break-ins with these people. So like, it's really hard for um, athletes in particular, you know, like a lot of the ones in the, the stats for the athletes, I think, especially in the U S it's like something like 60% um, go bankrupt within like five, 10 years of retiring. Oh, um, crazy. Because they, they they get the money so young and then they're yeah. like already into the lifestyle. Yeah. So it's you a hard you, one. Totally. You grow up seeing it. Your friends who are the fellow athletes are kind of bringing, buying your bling and the shoes and then we're like, the, the other yeah, side yeah. to it that I've read about is like in, in the U S and also with, with like um, soccer slash football, I'll say both yeah. words um, <laughs> is that a lot of them come from quite poor backgrounds. Like they're yeah. playing uh, football in the streets of uh, Rio de Janeiro, quite poor. And then all of a sudden they make it like one of the best in the world. And then yeah. they have, all their, um, you know, street kids that they're growing up with asking for money. And a lot of them feel very much obliged to give money and, yeah. you know, quite rightly so, but some of them just feel so guilty or just get so caught up with giving the money that they end up having nothing left for themselves. Really? That's interesting. Very interesting. So um, there's two, two ends of the spectrum, either overspending or just uh, on excessive material things or, or overspending on charity as well. Yeah. Or you, like, you get these people saying like, it's a friend or like someone who's an acquaintance who says, Hey, I got this business idea. Yeah. And you hear of all these um, people who are trying to diversify, like if yeah. you're a NFL player, they buy a restaurant or a bar yeah. and a golf club or a, buy into a hotel and they end up like losing all their money. And the guy runs off with uh, everything. So yeah. I, yeah. I, it's tough. 
it's, I think um, um, money coming at different points in your life will result in different mentalities and different outcomes, right? Like, like you said, it's a very common tale, young and 18, 19 year old being signed to the NBA or the NHL, right? Whereas opposed to a 30 or 40 year old who's gotten some life experience as well. I think you have to surround yourself with really good people, right? And so like, uh, especially good business people, business managers, yeah. um, right? Uh, it's so hard to know like who to trust when, totally. you're, when you're like that. I, um, I, I read about, sorry, I was going to yeah, say yeah. that I read, I read about, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of an interesting one because he, I guess, was aware of these pitfalls. Yeah. And um, he, I think he admitted like he messed up a bit when he was young and went a bit crazy with the money. But then he was in these meetings with people and he started realizing, look, these guys are a bit dodgy. Yeah. I want to, and they're talking about things as if I don't know what uh, they're talking about. And they're trying to like, make it seem like it's too complicated for a guy like me. Yeah. So he went off and like did an MBA. He trained to be a cop. He yeah. trained, he got like a law degree or something. So he, he went off and like educated himself uh, like yeah. in the business world. So he's like, now I can sit in any room with these people who want my money yeah. and, and go from there. Because someone like Mukesh Ambani, He's a businessman. He, yeah. He's a, a businessman. And so like he made a deal on that property. He, like, he's, yeah. he got, he's probably he got, the one trying to rip off Shaquille O'Neal. Right? Yeah, he, he's like, he's, <laughs> he, he managed to get that land for that place in Mumbai for, he could have afforded what it was worth, but he's oh, totally. a businessman and negotiated to get it for $3 million or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, so, um, yeah, it's a tough world, money, you know, like uh, they say that like uh, uh, um, you don't have money and you just worry about making money. But if you have money, you worry about just, making sure you keep your money right so so like if i had to choose between the two i'd rather like not go crazy and just uh, be a normal person right i think that 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 fact that you brought up about seventy thousand, uh i would be have a little bit more but you're totally right if you want to be a normal person who has a sane life really after you get a certain threshold which isn't like excessively crazy you really like are you you're very much satisfied in terms of material things in this world do you have a roof over your head you have good meals your kids go to good schools, you have like a few, like really there's nothing else you'll do, you know? So whenever you look at rich people, they're always just buying useless stuff. Like, you know what I mean? With excess money, like gold-plated Mercedes or big diamond rings, like all the things that have no value whatsoever. But it's the thing though, is like, I guess they enter in their own little uh, wealth bubble. Competition. And, um, you know. Then it becomes a competition. And a lot of them are really like type A personalities where- yeah they just think I have to win at all costs and yeah. that's how they made their wealth. And then they start seeing people around them it's doing a that circle of people. I and then around, yeah. it's, it, it can be quite an uncomfortable circle to be around. So yeah. that's why I like people like uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they're so rich. They, they don't care for that kind of game. It's yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me turn the light on. Sorry. One second. Sorry to our, yeah. our one viewer. <laughs> But I will say, uh, I'll ask one question, then we'll, we'll end it off. What would be, so if you had to buy one excessive thing, so I understand like with your $1 billion, you're going to buy the Canadians or a stake in it, blah, 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 blah. Maybe you can, I'll go in with the Canadians for you. If you think it's a good investment, we'll both go in uh, a little bit. Thank you. But if you were going to buy one excessive thing, like thing that you think like really was material or you had to, can you think of anything? Ah, that's Total hard. waste. You didn't have to do it. Just fun. Huh. I really, uh, I really struggle with that. I, I don't like cars that much. Yeah. Oh, what kind Boats. of car would you buy with a billion by the, by the way, would you upgrade or would, you don't have a car? I don't have a car. Would you buy like a, a Beamer or a Mercedes or just a Toyota or a Tesla? Um, 
I would get a Bentley something something <laughs> and and then <laughs> and get so, someone to drive it get someone to drive it for me. Yeah, um, open the door. Yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable driving it. There was one actually um, in in the neighborhood where I live. It's weird because there's some pretty uh, rich people. That's it's a normal neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, but often on, on the street where I live, there's some really nice cars. And yesterday there was a Bentley um, SUV parked outside, and I thought that's crazy. I've never seen that before. Yeah. I looked up how much it cost. It was a hundred hundred and sixty thousand euros. That's crazy. So I'd be like, I, I wouldn't want to park that thing. I wouldn't I want to drive. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> drive it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, that seems like an excessive thing. Just throw that kind of money. Um, At a car. Yeah, totally. Or a car. But like, what else? What else could I do? I'd buy a private jet. Um, well, that, that was my answer. I said I'd probably buy a private jet because I don't really like flying. <laughs> like in like commercial, I find that like, I fly economy. It's not like I fly business class or first class, but I find the whole process of it a little kind of like annoying and still like, you know, passport check, immigration, security, <laughs> your luggage is too big, <laughs> waiting. In line. I would buy a private jet so I could just travel in a little bit more comfort, you know. But there's a problem because a lot of uh, wealthy and rich people have died in private uh, jet crashes because the, the, there's a lot less scrutiny. The, the pilot is, you know, nice. well-trained, but probably not under the same rigorous standards of commercial airliner. Mm, so, I, and the other aspect of this for me uh, would be, I would want to fly first class or like business class every single time yeah, yeah. because uh, it would make me a bit of a, a jackass, but I would want to like, there's always a feeling I've, I've flown business class yeah. uh, twice, three times maybe in my life, yeah. but it's a crazy feeling. Like even people who are like uh, premium economy or have like the advanced seats for EasyJet or Ryanair, huh. there's like this elitist thing of I can board first, totally. I can do this first, or I can get off the plane first. Let me yeah. do this. So it's a really weird um, subculture uh, on the planes, it's... but I would, I would totally indulge in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so strange you say that because at the end of the day you know i totally get what you're saying and i don't think it's a healthy thing for humanity to have this but at the end of the day we're all just going from point a to point b but it's like uh it, you get to you know when you get to the airport there's a different line you know and perhaps when you go through immigration there's a different line you get to board first you get unlimited food you know for me the whole thing with business class that i enjoy is that i can sleep properly that's literally oh, yeah. the only thing i don't care about the tv or even the unlike amount of and i can just put my feet up and sleep because like sleeping on economy is so difficult on long-haul flights so uh, uh but like the washrooms you know you yeah you don't have to share a washroom with like 100 people but you have to share a washroom with eight other people you know what i mean but uh but like i would never pay like twenty thousand dollars to travel first class on like you know uh, on like Kwanzaa Airlines, oh, not Kwanzaa, sorry, on uh, Qantas Airlines or on, or on like blah, 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 blah. I think that's a total ripoff, by the way, you know, but I don't know. It's, an, it's a class thing that you said, you know, some people have to do it because they're in that class and they have to show off. Other people do it because, you know, it's the standard they're living on. I think uh, one good thing is just have balance in life with all things. And I think you'll be okay. It's a pretty good piece of advice that was given to me. And uh, just be normal you know what i mean like i would never it's uh... so hard to be normal <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard so many people struggle with that yeah but like i mean if you get your own uh, i uh, yeah and then at the end of the day uh, by the way i uh, just to uh, be uh, rhetorical and one thing i asked you is that at the end um i would probably not leave a lot for my kids i'd leave a little bit so they could survive and they could understand but not enough so they'd be spoiled uh, and i'd just donate everything pretty much by the time wow. uh, yeah i, I mean Really, what's the? I think mo- that's what Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are trying to do with the uh, um, the giving pledge or the ninety nine percent or whatever it is that just give most of your funds away. And I think most people have signed on to it, 
uh, Jeff Bezos has not, <laughs> but but uh, most people I think understand that that this is a, a this is a finite thing, and that I uh, think it's what's really good. There's a, a billionaire, and I don't remember which uh, business he ran. I think he yeah. passed away recently, but he um, made it his goal to give away most of his money while he was still alive. Yeah, yeah. because he's like, well, why would I want to give it away while I'm dead? You know, in my will, because I don't get to see the results of it, and totally. so. He managed People to, need it. Yeah. But that's the hardest thing in the world, right? How do you time when you die? Unless you, you do some go to Switzerland and like, you know, bop yourself off. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I guess he figured, uh, you know, I'll live to like ninety something. Yeah. And he he managed to like ha have the calculation of, you know, spend this much each year to give it to charity, yeah. and uh, he succeeded. Well, I mean, they say many different religious uh, traditions, uh, moral traditions, people, they say that feeling you get when you give charity is unparamount, right? Like, like it makes you feel good. You're doing something good. Uh, I'm sure if there's a lot of guilt, which I'm sure a lot of rich people have for some of the things they've done in their life, it, <laughs> uh, it, might, it might help them out. But uh, I mean, helping people, I think really just does help uh, in, in the end. Uh, I mean, charity is a good thing. You could do your own trusts and funds uh, with and charities with the money. But uh, uh, you, I'd you recommend for our listeners to uh, check out the YouTube channel, Mr. Beast. Have you heard mm -hmm. of this? No, 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 no. What? Tell me. I just uh, came across this dude um, this weekend and I binged yeah. on it. Uh, so I think he's like 22 years old, 23. Yeah. He's, he's pretty young, but he's been doing YouTube videos forever. Yeah. And he he's hilarious because... Um, he was, I don't know if he was trying to get famous, but he would just keep pumping out videos for like seven years. And yeah. he, has, he has videos where he was just reading out the dictionary for eight hours. He'd read out the whole entire thing, or he would just say one word over and yeah. over, or he would count to a hundred thousand. Yeah. So these videos are crazy, but eventually yeah. he made it um, to be like a successful YouTuber. And these yeah. people make a lot of money now. Yeah. And so what he does is each time he makes a new video, that video then generates like 55 million views. And that makes like, I don't know how much money, a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. So he, his next video would be, I'm giving a hundred thousand to a homeless guy. Wow. And then he makes, he gets a hundred million views off that. And then he makes more money. Yeah. He just piles the next amount of money into like a charitable yeah. uh, or a goodwill thing. That's and so really interesting to watch like um, how he's spending the money. I think some of these people who are younger on YouTube making a lot of money, they're really like, being flashy and kind of corrupting the minds of the youth. Agreed. Uh, but but this is a good. Uh, this guy, this guy is doing a really cool thing. Yeah. And I would urge the listeners to check out his channel. We'll Very link. cool. Um, we'll link we'll... it uh, when we post uh, this uh, episode. Yeah. But uh, I think it's I think it's called Mr. Beast. I'll I'll, I'll uh, share it when we uh, finish this episode. But yeah, definitely I'll, worth uh... checking out. My final question to you, Dave, before we end the episode is uh, uh, the building, uh, uh, Atelier in, in Mumbai, uh, 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 is it a, a, a yay or a nay in your opinion? Is this something that you like, you see, you achieve, you, you aspire for, or is it something that it's not that interesting to me and I would never live there? Uh, yeah, I would have just pointed away the, the view away from the slum and then I'd be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I would kind of tone it down just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Totally. he had the kind of right idea, but he went, you know, just too, too far. It's, it's a little, yeah, I'm a girl. I'm with you. It's, it's an A for me. I'm sorry, Mr. Uh, sorry, Mr. Uh, yeah. but, but 
Anyways, uh, if, you, if people listening, tell us what you do if you got a billion dollars. Uh, what would you expend it on? It's it's really interesting because I think depending on the age of uh, of who you ask, you'll get very different responses. So uh, it'd be interesting to talk to young people as well as people who are older. I'm sure as we get older up, it's probably more conservative. I never hear 90 year olds being like, <laughs> rent out like Empire State Building and have a big rave for 20 yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I asked my nephews, they'd probably say all the Pokemon cards. All the Pokemon. So. So innocent, yeah. right? So uh, there, there you go. go. Anyways, all awesome. Have Very a great cool, Josh. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dave, for your time. And uh, we'll see you next time. Stay safe, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.